Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is indeed sweet to us, that it is sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be immensely blessed this morning as we look at your word together. May our eyes be brightened as we taste from your word. And so, Lord, we pray that we may go from here refreshed and invigorated and all the more eager to serve you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've un- we understand in our lives and as we read the scriptures that when we trust in God, surprising things can often happen. If we trust in God, surprising things can happen and even what we consider to be impossible may actually become a reality. As we've been looking through this passage together in Hebrews chapter 11, we've seen again and again that we are to live by faith. At the end of Hebrews chapter 10, there is a quote from Habakkuk that says that the righteous will live by faith. If you seek to be righteous, then you must live by faith. And then Hebrews chapter 11 has been giving us example after example of people who live by faith. And this morning, we're going to continue examining the life of Abraham and his faith. So last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8, 9, and 10, and saw that Abraham's faith was demonstrated in the way that he left his home country and went to be a stranger in a foreign land. And then we see his faith also displayed in verses 11 and 12, which are the verses that we're concentrating on this morning. And we see that by faith, Abraham was able to have children. He was able to become a father. I encourage you to open up your Bibles there to Hebrews chapter 11, page 1192, page 1192, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, we see it reads, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So here we have Abraham held up as someone who lives by faith, and through that faith, an impossible thing happened. He was able to have a child. Now, in one uh, one thing that we have to clear up with this verse is whether it is actually Abraham that is being commended to us. Because there's an alternate reading to verse 11. That it's not actually Abraham's faith that is on display for us here, but it's actually Sarah's faith that is on display. If you look with me at the margin of your pew Bibles there, the NIV translation, look down with me and it has a little uh, letter A and then 11, and it gives an alternate translation of the verse. And that alternate translation is that by faith, even Sarah, not Abraham, even Sarah, who was past age, was enabled to bear children because she, and then you jump back up into the verse, considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, as to whether the verse is talking about Sarah or Abraham, it is tricky to say. Uh, A fairly straightforward reading of the text is actually that it is Sarah who is on display here. And if you look at more modern translations, they will actually give Sarah up in the, uh, the main text and Abraham will be relegated down into the margin. Now, why do people not like the idea that it's Sarah that is on display here? 
Well, one of the big problems with it is that Sarah doesn't really seem to have much faith in this particular matter in the Old Testament. We just read from Genesis chapter 18, and Sarah is there laughing about the idea, the promise of God, that she would have a child. And so then when we come to this passage, and there's an alternate reading that it could be Abraham and not Sarah, we're led to believe, okay, well, maybe it is Abraham that is being spoken of because Sarah doesn't seem to be a very good spokesperson, a witness to what it looks like to live by faith in the promises of God. But I think that Sarah is probably supposed to be the subject here, that she is the one who's displayed to us as someone who was faithful. Although she laughed in Genesis 18, we have no indication that she continued to laugh after she was rebuked. She was rebuked, and then that's the end of the story, the narrative. And so we have no indication that she didn't believe after that rebuke. And then we see Sarah expressing great joy when her son Isaac comes into the world. And there's even a play on his name in the way that he is named. Isaac means to laugh. And so is she thinking back, is she laughing about the joy of having the baby or is she considering how she laughed at the promise of God and now she has the baby? And so it may be in her mind that she is reflecting on the fact that she lacked faith in the initial stages. And Sarah is a faithful wife. She is held up in the New Testament you know, several times as someone who God's people, particularly women, God's women should follow as an example. She is someone who left her home country with Abraham. She trusted in the Lord who had spoken to Abraham. And she left that country and she followed Abraham and she listened to his leading. She submitted to his leadership. She is one who called Abraham her master. She submitted to him by faith. So it may indeed be that Sarah is one who is commended to us as a faithful person. There are hints, at least, in the Old Testament that she was a faithful person. And so it is not that, uh, that unlikely that she is held up in this verse for us as a person of faith by which we should learn from. But why is it surprising to Sarah, back in Genesis 18, that she would have a baby? Why is verses 11 and 12 here in the Bible as an example of people who lived by faith. Because when we actually look at the context of the promise that was given to Abraham and Sarah, it was about an impossible, a seemingly impossible matter. Why was Sarah initially incredulous? Why did she laugh at the idea that she would have a baby? Women have babies all the time. Why was it so funny to her that she would have a baby, that God would promise her a baby? Well, we understand that both Abraham and Sarah were past the age for children, when you'd normally be having children. Even if verse 11 isn't talking about Abraham, verse 12 does talk about Abraham, and it points out that he was beyond having children in normal circumstances. It says in verse 12, And so from this one man and he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. How old was Abraham when Isaac was born? He was 100 years old. Is that generally when men have children? No. The Bible actually says that if you're 100, when it comes to having kids, you're as good as dead. may not be a compliment if you're 100 or older, 
But basically, if you're 100, you should give up the thought that you're going to be having kids anytime soon. Now, when it comes to women, with Sarah, it was beyond belief that she would have children based on her circumstances as well. Why is that? Well, firstly, she'd been barren all her life. She hadn't been able to have children up until this point. And generally speaking, if you've got some sort of problem that is preventing you from having kids, it doesn't rectify overnight. It doesn't suddenly become good again. She had had a long history of not being able to have children. Also, she was elderly herself. It wasn't like Abraham was a 100-year-old man and he's got a very young wife. No, she was quite old herself. How old was Sarah when she had Isaac? She was 90 years old. Now, if men are said to be old and dead at 100 from having children, women at 90 years of age aren't usually having kids either. Now, Jill and myself, we aren't planning necessarily on having any more children. We think two at this stage seems to be okay. That's where we're at at the moment. We may change our minds. But it's interesting, we haven't sold off with a garage sale all the baby clothing that we have in the house and the baby equipment. We've still got it there. Why? Because Jill's still fairly young. But if Jill hits age 90 and we've still got all the clothing there, it's a bit ridiculous. We should be having a garage sale if she hits age 90 and we say, look, I think the possibility of having kids is over. I think it's quite a wise move to pull out all those boxes of baby clothes and all those little dresses and the change table, the cot, so many things with babies. We pull them all out, let's have a sale because 90 ain't going to happen. We're not having any more kids. The other thing that is pointed out in this text, well, not in this text in Hebrews, but in the Old Testament that works against Sarah is that it specifically says that she'd actually gone through menopause, which you'd expect at the age 90, but maybe early stages, we know that people lived a lot longer in those days, and maybe she hadn't actually gone through menopause. But we know that in Genesis chapter 18, that it actually says that uh, the way it's described, they don't use a word for menopause, but it says, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah is the ESV translation. And it's literally saying the way of women. So the monthly cycle, it stopped. The way of women had ceased to happen with Sarah. So she's got three strikes against her from having a kid. She hasn't had kids in the past. She's been barren. She's elderly. And she's been through menopause. How on earth is she going to have a kid? It's impossible for her to have a kid. So when God makes this promise that you're going to have a kid, she laughs. She laughs, but then God rebukes her, and I believe it's not unreasonable to think that she then had faith, that she then trusted the Lord, or at least once the child comes along, she believes that God keeps his word. And so Abraham and Sarah live by faith, and they trust that God, who makes the promises, is faithful at his end as well. And we see that in verse 11. It says, by faith, Abraham... Or Sarah, even though he, she, was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered himself, he considered him faithful who had made the promise. They consider God faithful who had made the promise. And what was the result of that faith? Well, 
we see that they do indeed have life come from their dead bodies. They aren't absolutely dead, but in terms of having kids, they're dead. That's the way the Bible describes them. And yet life comes out of Sarah's body, life comes out of Abraham's body, to the extent that they have many, many, many descendants after them. How many? Well, we see that it's as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. It's a lot. A lot of life comes out of their dead bodies. And that's fulfilled. It's not like God makes a promise and it doesn't happen, they only have Isaac and that's it. No. You see, Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And from those 12 sons come the 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually it says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, a few hundred years later, that it says that the, Moses is speaking, he says to the Israelites, the Lord your God has increased your numbers so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. There are so many Israelites there when Moses is in leadership that it's as though there are as many as stars in the sky. The fulfilment of this promise has come about with the biological children of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. And then we also see that this is fulfilled in the way that there are spiritual children of Abraham as well. It's not just that the biological children of Abraham are many, that we actually understand that the Bible says that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you actually become a child of Abraham. Look with me at Romans chapter 4, which is found on page 1115. Page 1115, Romans chapter 4. Verse 16 Romans chapter 4, verse 16, page 1115, 1115, 1115, it says, Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, the promise comes by faith, so that it might be, be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those to, uh, who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He... That's Abraham, is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Who is your father? Ultimately, it's Abraham if you live as a child of God, if you live by the faith that Abraham had. You stem back through the promises of God to Abraham himself. And so you and all your brothers and sisters who are in Christ are part of that promise of being the descendants who are as many as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And when you consider how many Christians have been through the ages, it is like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. It is a lot of life has come from Abraham those many years ago. And so an important principle about faith is here in verses 11 and 12 of Hebrews chapter 11. What is that important principle? If you trust in God, by your faith, God brings life from the dead. God brings life from the dead by faith. You see that in Abraham and Isaac. They, had, they were dead in terms of producing life. But by faith... Life came from their dead bodies. And so if you're not a Christian, understand that if you believe in God, he will bring life to your dead body one day as well. 
He will raise you from the dead. He's done it in the past and he will do it again. And he is the only one that can do it. Like Abraham and Sarah, they were not able by themselves to bring life from their bodies. Or they tried many, many, many times to have a child. They could not bring it about. And it was not like they could get anybody else's help to bring it about. And it's the same for you. Once you die, that's it. It doesn't matter how much you try once you're dead to bring yourself back to life. It ain't going to happen. And you can't get anybody else to bring you to eternal life as well. It's interesting that um, there's some people who are really aiming at trying to remove death from this world, at least to some extent. You may not know who Mark Zuckerberg is. If you stay out of the social media world, you probably don't. He is the CEO, the head of Facebook, and he has a wife, uh, Priscilla Chan, and they have actually pledged, well, pledged, they're actually spending, I think, they're spending at least $3 billion is where they're starting to end disease, to try and prevent death. They think if we throw enough money at death, we will be able to stop death, that we're getting to this point now with our technology and with our resources, all it takes is a lot of money and we'll be able to prevent death. But what about death from violent trauma? Will they be able to prevent that? They might be able to find some sort of cure for cancer, for heart disease, but will they be able to find a cure for blunt trauma to the head? No one can prevent you from dying. One day you will die, and the only one that can bring life back from your dead body is God. And he does it by faith. Now you may listen to the whisper of Satan that you can't that God can't possibly do that. And that's what Sarah was experiencing. When she was promised that life would come from her dead body, she laughed. You think it's impossible for someone to bring someone that's dead back to life. But God can. And you may have laughed at God in the past, but that doesn't matter. What matters is, what do you believe today? Sarah laughed at God, but God still brought life from her dead body. Because she did believe in God, as I think Hebrews 11 teaches us. And so it doesn't matter how much you've scoffed at God's ability to raise the dead, to raise your dead body in the past. If you come to him and apologize, you repent, you say you're sorry for your sins, God will one day raise your dead body to life as well. And so I encourage you, if you're not a believer, believe today so that one day life will come from your dead body. But if you are a Christian, never forget that you believe in a God who can do the impossible. Who can do the impossible. And it's not like you don't believe, you believe, sorry, it's not like you believe in a God who can do the impossible without any reason. Some people believe in impossible things without any basis for believing that they are indeed true. There's actually a, a nice little illustration of this in the book Alice Through the Looking Glass where the White Queen, we often know about Alice in Wonderland and the Queen of Hearts, uh, but there's a sequel, and Alice Through the Looking Glass, and Alice is talking to the White Queen. And the White Queen says, I'm just 101, five months and a day. 
I can't believe that, said Alice. She can't believe that the White Queen is 101 and five months and a day. Can't you, the Queen said in a pitting tone. Try again. Draw a long breath and shut your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying, she said. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. See how the Queen operates? She draws a deep breath and she tries to believe impossible things. No basis for believing the impossible. Just take a deep breath and try. Once you practice at believing impossible things, you get better and better at it. That is not the basis upon which we stand and believe in a God who brings life from the dead, the God who does the impossible. We have a basis. What is that basis? It's God's word. God's word has told us again and again that God brings life from the dead. Three examples. First example, initial one, is God creating Adam from the dust of the earth. The dust, the ground, is dead. But God brings life out of it and forms Adam. Second example, well, Hebrews 11 has that for you. He brings life out of the dead bodies of Abraham and Sarah. He brings a child forth from them. Third example of God showing that he can do the impossible of bringing life from the dead. The greatest one of all history, Jesus Christ. He was dead dead in that grave and he had suffered eternal punishment on the cross for the sins of many if there was no one who was ever coming back it was him if sin causes death then Jesus had so much sin put upon him that there is no way he was coming back but God raised him God did the impossible he raised Jesus from the dead So it is not as though you are believing that God is the God of the impossible with no basis. God can give life to you and he can give life to your most hardened friends who are the deadest people you can possibly know to the truths of God. He is a God of the impossible. He gives life to the dead. I think so often we put limits on God. We know something of God. We we read his word and we have a conception of him, but our knowledge is finite at some extent, and and we forget things. We don't remember God as we should, and so we put limits on God. We don't think of him as the God of the impossible. We we push him down, which is what idolatry likes to do, where you, you say, this is my God, you can control it. You make a little statue and you think that that's your God. You put limits on that God. And we, we forget how marvellous our God is, how infinite is his power, how mighty he is, that he's a God of the impossible who can bring life from the dead. And so we put God in human terms and we laugh at his promises sometimes, like Sarah did, before we even think about it. We don't LOL at his promises, laugh out loud if you don't know what messaging jargon is. There's this, if you put LOL, it's an abbreviation for laugh out loud. Now, Sarah didn't LOL when she heard the promise of God. She didn't laugh out loud. She laughed inwardly, the Hebrew actually says. It's very specific. She laughed in her inner self. And I think we often do that. We wouldn't laugh out loud in front of other people about the promises of God, but we laugh inwardly. 
at his promises that he will really raise us from the dead. He really could give life to our most hardened friend to the truths of the gospel. If we understand the promises of God, we understand that he can give life to the dead. And we, if you're a Christian, you know something of that life that he does bring from the dead anyway. Yes, you haven't died physically and, and been raised to life, but you've been raised to life spiritually. Before you become a Christian, you're dead to the things of God. You're not interested. They don't enliven you. You don't have any joy in them. But when you're a converted... When you think back to your conversion, usually you remember the life that came, the joy that came with your conversion, the delight that you had, the interest that you had in the things of God. Now I know that over time, as I said, we can put limits on God and we start to mellow and we start to become deadened to those things that used to enliven us so much before that we used to get such spiritual joy from. We become weak and spiritually depressed. We're not interested in the things of God. We're not interested in reading our Bibles. We're not interested in speaking to God. And meeting with God's people, it kind of interferes with our social schedule. I really don't have time for that. And service of the Lord is certainly too hard, and parting with money and possessions for God's kingdom, that's very difficult. And then eradicating sin from my life, the different sins that I struggle with, that's too difficult. I just don't have the strength to do that. And so I let it go, and I become spiritually deadened. What is the solution to that problem? You need to remember that God you trust in brings life from the dead. You can have victories over sin And the Spirit can fill you with life again about the Lord and his work. And it doesn't come from human strength. Remember, human strength didn't make Sarah pregnant. It was God who did. And so if you feel spiritually deadened, there's a temptation that you look to somebody else to give you that vitality again. And you might look to the pastor. He can berate you and be harsh with you and tell you, no, no, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to pray, you've got to get to church. Or you can do it to yourself. You can berate yourself. You can inflict pain and punishment on yourself. When you don't read your Bible, you fine yourself. You put your money in, it's like a swear jar or something like that. I've heard of pastors doing that. When they don't do their... There's a wonderful pastor, Charles Simeon. He did that early on in his life, that he would find himself if he didn't wake up and do his devotions on time. And that's what you might do. You inflict pain upon yourself to give yourself that spiritual life again. But that's not how life comes to dead people. Life comes from God. Life comes from him. And it comes by faith. If you want spiritual vitality... If you don't want to be dead to the things of God, then go to God in faith. Repent of your apathy towards God, your incredulity, your faithlessness, your unbelief towards God, your laughter at God's power. And don't listen to Satan's lies that say, you've laughed before at God, he has no time for you now. Sarah is an example of someone who laughed at God, but God still had time for her. 
when she did believe, when she had faith and he brought life from her dead body. God has time for you. And don't listen to Satan's lies that God is not mighty enough to bring life to your body or to the bodies of those around you who you know are spiritually dead to God. Concentrate on today, not what you did yesterday. Concentrate on today. What do you believe about God today? Today is the day that you consider him faithful, as we read there in verse 12. Oh, verse 11, I should say. Because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. That's what you need to do, is today consider God faithful who has made the promise. Consider that he is the God of the impossible. And today is the day that you pray for a spiritual quickening in your life. So that's an old word, quicken, means to enliven. That's what you want. You want life in you. Pray for that quickening because it's only God that can give it. Pray for a revival from the deadness that is so prevalent in us. No Christian is as alive as they'd like to be. We can all improve. And how do we improve? Go to God. Go to him for that life. Today is the day that you pray for that life, for your hardened friends and even for yourself. What do you pray to God? Just pray, give me life. I believe. I trust you, God. Give me life. Say it loudly. Give me life, Lord. Say it out loud if you need to. Sometimes you see that with the psalmist. They talk to themselves. They talk to themselves and they say it out loud because they can't think straight. And so to get past the thoughts, they speak out loud. Give me life, Lord. Say it loudly. Say it softly. Give me life, Lord. Say it with tears. Give me life, Lord. I want to live for you. And you are the one who can give life to dead people like me, to people who are dead to you in a way that I shouldn't be. I thank you for the life that you have given me, but give me more life. I believe that you're a mighty God, a God of the impossible. Give me life. Let's speak with our God now. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder from your word that you are a God who gives life to the dead. We see it in the life of Abraham and Sarah. So many reasons why they shouldn't have been able to have a child. But you gave them life. And it became so much life. It became like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Lord, we pray that if anyone in this room doubts your ability to give life, they've never trusted in you. We pray that this would be the day where they trust in you for salvation and look forward to that day when you will raise their dead body. And Lord, we pray for us as Christians. We know something of the life that you give, and at times we've known it even greater than we do today. We remember times where we were so on fire for you. Lord, we could go through all kinds of exercises to try and experience that life again, but it will all be in vain if you do not give it. So, Lord, we pray that you would deepen our trust in you, the mighty God, the God of the impossible. And, Lord, we pray that we would regularly ask you for life, for that life that only you can give. Quicken us, revive us, so that we're no longer dead to you, but alive. We pray this in Christ's name.